We are going to be in Titus chapter 2 this morning, back in Titus chapter 2, for real this time, not a curveball like last week. Um, But we looked at Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through almost the end of the chapter, um, two weeks ago. And as we were doing that, um, we we will actually reread, just not, I won't preach the sermon on this, but we will reread some verses to remind us of where we've been and to help us in where we're going. And so as we are looking at uh, Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15, which is the end of the chapter, I want to remind you that last week we were in Colossians chapter 1, that we went back there to see some of the things that are said here in Titus chapter 2, expounded upon in a way that illuminated even more of who Jesus was and that he wasn't just um, an opportunity for grace, that he is God, that he, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are one, that we call that the Trinity, and we looked at the role of Jesus in creation, and we looked at his role in upholding creation even today, and that he is the image of the invisible God, that Everything they knew about God in that time, they knew to be true because of things said in the Old Testament. Jesus was the image of that. He brought it out to life. He he was the manifestation of it. And so that's where we're going to start. If we go back and just review a little bit in Titus chapter 2, and we're going to head right into Titus chapter 3. And I I considered not preaching this. I actually planned on not preaching this part um, because there's some talk about the government coming up. But as you know, if you've read the Bible, there are lots of prophecies about the government being upon his shoulders, speaking of the Messiah that was to come back in the Old Testament, which when we get to the New Testament, that Messiah is Jesus. And so it mentions government here because of the uh, situation going on with with Crete and where Titus was. And so we're going to start in Titus chapter 2, verse 11, and then we're just going to keep on going into chapter 3. For the grace of God has appeared. And remember we talked about how did it appear? In the person of Jesus. And this is Christmas, right? The birth of Jesus. The, the birth of God. God becoming a human being. And for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so not only did he appear once, not only was he born into humanity at one time, but there will be a second coming, not another birth, but he will return to earth. And that's what this verse is saying, that they're excited and waiting for that. Verse 14, speaking of Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. Now, if you've been keeping up with the title of of this series, then it's, he gave himself for us, for the glory of God. He gave himself, and so we should do the same. If we're Christians, if we're truly following him, then not only should we be appreciative of the fact that Jesus gave it all, but we should be willing to do the same. And so as we read this, who gave himself for us to redeem us 
from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. There is a reason, a reason why you were saved. If you have become a follower of Jesus in here, if you have asked him to forgive you of your sins, to save you from your sins, if you are following him, you have a relationship with him, if you're saved, then there is a reason why he saved you. Not just to spare you from hell, but he saved you for something, not just from something. And verse 14 tells us some of that. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. Remember we talked about this for those of you who were here a couple of months ago about how we are not our own, that we are his, that we have given up our rights and we have, if we have become followers of Jesus, then he is our Lord. And when, when we say that word Lord, it implies that he gets to tell us what to do, that he's the boss, that he's in control. And he has, Jesus has redeemed from, for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So what does God want you to do? When he saves you, good works. He wants you to be his. And so we're not saved by our good works. It's by grace that we have been saved through faith, as Titus makes clear, and it's very clear throughout the entire New Testament, that it is not by works that we are saved. Uh, However, once we are saved, then we are to live in good works. We are to, to no longer live according to our passions, as we will see in a moment, and as we just read, but we are to live for God. And so, as we study this and as we read this, keep that in mind. Verse 15, this is his instructions to Titus. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Now, if you will, go with me to chapter 3, just the next verse down. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. Now, Titus is in a place where the rulers and authorities are not kind to Jewish people, Christian people. And so he's telling them to be submissive to the ruling authorities, but that's a difficult thing to do in this situation. There are many places during this time that would kill you for being a Christian. And yet here is Paul telling Titus to tell the people to submit to the ruling authorities. And this isn't the only place Paul says this if, in the New Testament. He says this more than once, that we are to submit to the governing authorities. And so he says, remind them to be submissive to the rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. Now, of course, if the ruling authorities tells you, if they tell you to do something um, that is sinful, that is evil, that is wrong, then are you to submit in that case? No, but if they're telling you to do something that's unpleasant and yet not a sin, if they're telling you to do something that you don't think is the best idea, but it's not necessarily telling you to do something that's illegal or wrong, then we are to submit to the ruling authorities. And of course, he specifically, these ruling authorities are talking about the government, but of course we can also use this in application to our bosses or other authorities in our life. If you are children in here and your parents, you might not always agree with what they're telling you to do, 
But unless what they're telling you to do goes against God's word, if you're not an adult and you're still in their home, then you have a responsibility to submit to that. So remind them to be submissive to the rulers and authorities, to be obedient and to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. This explains politics in America, right? Okay, maybe not. I'm fine if you're a Republican in here. I'm fine if you're a Democrat in here. Um, We have a political system that involves parties, so it's kind of hard to avoid parties, right? Um, You might be gung-ho on everything your party's doing, or you might reluctantly be a member of that party just because it's not the other party. I don't know what your case is in here. But when it comes to government, you can make a lot of choices, but let me tell you what choices you can't make. You cannot choose to give in to the modern cultural... um, I don't even know the word I'm looking for. Maybe uh, status quo of being rude, being hateful, hating someone just because they don't agree with you, those things are not biblical. Remember, we're to submit to the governing authorities. So most of you in here, well, let me just put it this way. If you've had a problem with our current president or our last president, will you raise your hand? Our current president or our last president? Okay, so most of you in here, all right, and so how do we submit? And why am I talking about this right before Christmas? Well, I'm talking about it because it's right here in this passage in Titus, although I did really want to skip this. (laughs) I considered it actually until last night. But anyway, um, we, we are to be submissive to the rulers unless they're telling us to do something sinful. And then verse 2, we're to speak evil of no one. And, and we have to be careful of this because can the truth be speaking evil of someone? Can you speak evil of someone and speak the truth at the same time? Yes. And so we have to even be careful about how we speak the truth. Let me give you an example. For those of you fellows in here who are married, if your wife comes in and asks, how does this dress look? What is the correct answer all the time? Um, Yes, beautiful. Never seen a better dress. Can't wait to see you wear it again. All right. So, I'm just picking about that. But, in all seriousness, if we were to look at the political climate today, let's just say you turn on Fox News, CNN, uh, MSNBC, Uh, they're all pretty thoughtful and see things from both angles, all angles, right? (laughs) Sorry. No. And so, I'm not saying we can't be entertained by that kind of stuff, but even that we have to be careful about. Because we need to be thinking about what Christ desires more than what we desire. And there can be an evil ruler. I'm not calling our current ruler evil. I'm just saying there can be an evil ruler, and yet God can still use him for his purposes. 
What authority is in control that God has not placed in control? None. So when I disagreed with Obama, which I did, he was still my president. He was still the governing authority in my life. It was still my job unless he is telling me to do something that is immoral, sinful, wrong, to, to do that. Now, we live in a democracy, so we have a right to voice our opinions. We have been given that right. The people here did not live in a democracy. Their rights were different than ours, and so we need to take that into account when we're considering how to apply this portion and many other portions of the Bible, all other portions of the Bible. We need to take into account the differences between then and now. However, I think that this is pretty clear, that, that the current political climate and the way that we treat one another on different sides of issues, uh, that it is not okay. We need to be more kind. We need to be more loving. We need to be more gentle. We need to be more generous. We need to be more merciful. We need to be more gracious. We need to be more like Jesus. And so when we're thinking of the king of kings being born as a human being, who, if anyone, had the right to overthrow a corrupt political system? Jesus, right? He deserved to be king. What, what did the ruler in his area try to do to him when he found out the Messiah was born? Tried to kill him. Tried to kill Jesus as a baby. And yet, Jesus didn't retaliate. When the political rulers, when, when they sent the the guards to arrest Jesus in the garden. And Peter took out his sword and defended Jesus, cut off the guy's ear. Did Jesus say, get him, Peter? No, most of us would have. But Jesus said, if you live by the sword, you die by the sword. Jesus put the guy's ear back on his head. That would have been cool to see. And so, with that said... We are to be submissive to the rulers and authorities. We are to speak evil of no one. We are to avoid quarreling. That's the opposite of what happens in the political climate today, in the political system today. We are to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. And remember, these are people who hate these Christians. And Titus is saying that we are to be different. Verse 3, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient. I'm going to stop there. So can someone be truly foolish and yet you still love them? Yes. In fact, as you read here, we're going to be reminded that we were once foolish. And in their case, they had not, these people had not always been Christians. And in our case, that could be true. But we also need to remember that those of us who call ourselves Christians in here, uh, and I'm not saying you're not, I'm just saying those of us who call ourselves Christians, that a lot of us have been extremely rude and extremely arrogant and lacked kindness and gentleness and courtesy and the things mentioned. We have caused quarrels rather than avoided them when it comes to politics and many other areas of life. I'm just preparing you for the Christmas dinner table, okay? That's what we're doing here. 
We're just getting ready for the conversations that you know are going to come up. Anyway, let's continue reading. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. He's saying, look, before we were saved, we were the ones hating the enemy. We were the ones who were going after the government and the rulers and how unfair they were. We were the ones doing this and we were the ones doing that. Look at verse 4. But, these conjunctions in Scripture just sometimes change everything, don't they? For the wages of sin is death. Bad news. Is that the end? What's the next word? But, the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Now look at here. We were once foolish. We were once this. We would follow our various passions. We were angry. We were hated and hateful. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. Now this God is the Father. But how did God the Father's how did his goodness and loving kindness appear? Through whom? Through Jesus. And we'll get to that in just a second. But there are some interesting words here. This, this goodness, like I spent a lot of time just studying this one word as I was preparing for the sermon because uh, I'd heard it so few times and yet there were it, it was... Such an important word, this Christos. And we call ourselves Christians now after Christ, and it was a play on words. The loving kindness, almost like the loving Christ of God. The loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared. And, and Sorry, that was on the goodness. And in the loving kindness, we have a word. How many of you have ever heard the word philanthropy? Right? When, when you do good works, when you're... When you're uh, generous toward others. When you, and these words were developed um, from literally God's love, philos, toward mankind. Man is uh, in there. And so it's literally saying God's love toward mankind, his loving kindness. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. God saved us, not because of anything we have done. Did we deserve for God to send His Son to this earth? to become a human, to grow into a man, and to die an ugly, horrible death on a cross? Did we deserve for God to do that for us? So why did he do it? It's his goodness, his loving kindness, his mercy toward us. No, we didn't deserve it. And yet he still gave it to us. We deserved death, according to the verse I quoted earlier in Romans. And yet, what did he give us? 
mercy. He spared us. He didn't give us what we deserved. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So how are we saved? Now, this isn't saying that we're saved by baptism, even though this is talking about baptism. But we're not saved by works, so we're not saved by baptism. We know, according to Scripture, that it is by grace that we have been saved through faith. And yet, if we're saved, what should be a work that follows? Baptism. And so, this is saying those who have given their life to Christ, in the most evident way of that, the evidence for that in that time, and still today, is baptism. If we have truly made that decision, then we should follow Christ in baptism. And so when he saved us, not because of works we have done by, by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So we have God the Savior, we have the Holy Spirit, and we have Jesus, our Savior. They're working together. They had a plan from the beginning that when we sinned, first of all, they chose to create us. And there are these four stages throughout Scripture. It's creation, fall, redemption, restoration. They created us, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And I know I quote this a lot, but Genesis 1.26 let us make man in our image. There's, that's plural, us and our. Um, that's not just one. Let me make man in my image. Let us make man in our image. So the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were there in the beginning. And then Jesus is born as a man. If you want to fast forward in the scripture to Matthew, you find that. But when they created us in their image, they created us knowing that they were going to give us the ability to choose whether to have a relationship with God or not. That we could follow him or we could deny him. And he also knew that even in our choosing to follow, all of us would fall short of his glory. That we would all sin. And therefore, we would all need someone to save us from ourselves, from our sin. And so they created us. We sinned. Adam and Eve first, and every human being afterwards, we have done what is wrong in the eyes of God. And from that moment that we sinned, they began working a plan of redemption. There was already a plan in motion that Jesus would be born as a baby, as we're celebrating for Christmas, and that he would come and he would die for our sins, and his death on the cross would not be because of anything he did wrong. It would not be a punishment for anything that Jesus did wrong because Jesus did nothing wrong, his death on the cross would be a punishment that he willingly paid for our sins. He took the punishment that we deserved when he got on that cross. And that's what the Bible teaches. And that's what the Bible teaches from the beginning to the end is that God created us and we fail. We sin. And because he's a good God, he has to punish sin. And yet he loves us. And so he made a way possible to punish sin and yet spare us. And that way was through the death of his son on the cross. He punished sin and Jesus on the cross. And yet the sin was paid for 
in that moment, and yet he can offer us a relationship with him and forgiveness of our sins because they are paid for, because we have been made right with God through Jesus. But in order to do so, in order to have that relationship, we have to follow him. We have to ask him to save us. And so that's what we are seeing here, is that we have hope through the gift of Jesus Christ that God the Father poured out through the Spirit, through the Son. Verse 7, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. It's not that we're just only saved from hell, we're saved for so much more. We are heirs of eternal life. We get to partake in the blessings of God. And and that doesn't start after this life ends. That starts the moment we become a Christian. And so in closing, that's all the scripture we're going to go through this morning. But in closing, here's what I wanted to ask you. Is have you been saved? Have you given your life to Christ? If you have, great. If you haven't, then you can do that this morning. He's worth following. And if you have been saved, then here's my question to you. Are you living your life according to what Scripture says? I mean, let, let's look at the government issue that's mentioned in here. Are you portraying kindness, gentleness, are you, do you love the people who disagree with you, or do you just want to be right? And before you answer, I've seen your Facebooks. So how do we do both? You can be right and love at the same time. Sometimes that means keeping your mouth closed. But beyond government, because he kept going, didn't he? He used government as an example to show them that when before they were followers of Jesus, they used to be full of hate. They used to be the ones stirring up controversy. They used to be this. You, you notice the pattern that it, all of this is past tense? For those of you in here who call yourselves Christians, Are those things past tense for you? You used to stir up controversy. You used to to quarrel. You used to be full of hate and be hated and all that. If it's not past tense, then there should be some present tense repenting going on this morning. Right now, you should tell God you're sorry. And when we've sinned against others, we're not just apologizing to God. We need to apologize to them. I'm running your Christmas, aren't I? <laughs> now, now, when you sit down at the dinner table and somebody's talking about their love for Obama or Trump, and you're on the other end of that, you're just going to be thinking, Philip said we can't. Oh, Titus chapter 3. <sighs> Hold it together. But that should be past tense 
because our present tense, for those of us who are saved, includes Jesus. And if Jesus has come into our lives, then I hope that he is in the process of transforming our lives. And if you've been a Christian for a while and been growing closer to God, then that transformation, there should be, you should be significantly down the road in the process of that transformation. In from you being who you were to you being like Jesus. Now, your justification, him saving you from your sins and the things that you have done and the things that you will do, that is a momentary thing where there is a moment when you become a follower of Jesus where you are made right with God for the things that you have done and the things that you will do. But just because you've been made right with God doesn't mean that you've been made like God. That's a salvation is a process. It's sanctification. It's him setting you apart to become more and more like him, like his son. Until one day, either we go to heaven or he comes back and glorification takes place where we're given new bodies. And the things that we used to struggle with, the sin and the pain and the sickness and the hurt, it's all gone and no more. And that's heaven. But we're not there yet. Where we are right now is in a place where we need him. We need him for salvation for those of us who don't have that. We need him to help us be like him. We need him to help us be different than the world. We need him to help us show the things that he has shown, his goodness, his loving kindness, his mercy. We are to show these things. And if we're not showing these things, that's an issue. You can be blunt and still be loving. You can have your personalities, whatever they are, and still be like Jesus. If your personality is keeping you from being like Jesus, then that's a flaw in your character. And that needs to change. You need to repent of that, and you need to ask Jesus to help you be more like him. Because at Christmas... We can either just sit back and say, thank you, Jesus, for being born and realize what he has done, and that's all it is, is a realization of what he has done, and be thankful for what he has done, and it's a thankfulness for what he has done, and that be the end of it. Or we can do it in the biblical way and know what he has done, be thankful for what he has done, to embrace that, to let that enter our lives, and then for us to do the same for others. He gave himself for us. Let's do the same for others. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for what you have done for us. Lord, it is an incredible gift, an incredible blessing. God, we cannot say thank you enough. But Lord, help us to show our gratitude through our actions, through the things that you have called us to do. Lord, when it comes to politics, help us to have our opinions, opinions based on your word and scripture, Lord, that, that are the things that you desire. But God, I pray that when we form our opinions, that we would also love like you loved, that we would be gracious, that we would 
be different and that we would lead people to you just as you did with your goodness and your loving kindness. I pray that we would display those traits. Lord, I pray that we would be as merciful with others as you have been with us. And God, if there are people we have wronged and hurt since we have become Christians, I pray that you would put it on our hearts to go and apologize to them for whatever we have done. And God, I pray that if, uh, if we are not Christians, that you would save us this morning. Help every single person in here respond in whatever way you are leading them. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.